0: We've been talking about intergenerational community. And, you know, like a lot of words, a lot of phrases can start to feel like a buzzword. You know, intergenerational community, let's do it. And we've talking, been talking about it for a long time. It's been in the vision plan of this church for four, coming up five years, particularly with our young people, that they would be discipled in an intergenerational community of believers. But before I dive into this, this idea, this understanding, I want to do just a quick review, because what I felt on my heart is to actually bring almost a series, a series of church as different things. And last time I shared, I talked about church as a family, church as a loving community of Jesus followers. Church as a family that would share and pray and live around the way of Jesus together. I also shared that there are some real obstacles to this kind of community, this kind of family. But we ended with talking about how there's also very real ways to begin fostering the sense of community among us. And... I hope as we've been thinking more about this things have been bubbling up in our hearts, in our spirits and one of the points that was made in that message was that one of the ways to foster family, foster a real sense of fano, is to embrace the intergenerational nature of the family because it's always been there it's always been part of church for centuries but something changed and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute Something changed to upset that natural fabric, that natural um, way of being the church. We need to start with uh, defining terms. We need to start with what is intergenerational community. And the most simple definition that I could find was this it's different generations intentionally engaging in shared activity together. It's this, it's this morning. It's when you're in home group and you have more than one generation present. It's when you're going over to a neighbour, bringing a meal, and you're invited in and you have a sit-down dinner together. Kids are running around. But the, the thing that I want to highlight this morning is we've come to a place in time, a place in culture, where we need to be intentional again about intergenerational community because society has drifted. So a little history. How have we drifted? Why have we drifted? First thing was that in the 50s, after the World War II, there was this shift in the way we did church. There was a pastoral model going on, and then all of a sudden, for a number of reasons, one of them, we got to hear about different developmental theories, and we thought it would be a good idea to start splitting the ages into siloed ministries. And so we got the programmatic model of church beginning to rise. And I'm not completely hating on that. I'm just saying there was a shift. Secondly, we had a shift from communal to individualistic expressions of faith. And even the way the gospel was presented became quite individualistic. All about you and your relationship with God. And that's important. But we lost the the communal. We lost the family side of that. What happened in all of this was that the generation started to do this, they started to divide, and in the late 90s and sort of early 2000s we had the rise of the nuns, you heard of that? Basically on the census there's a little box that you can tick that says no affiliation, no no religious affiliation, and we started to see among my generation, and of course the next generation coming up below me, this rise of people that were spiritual but not religious, Yep, I haven't lost my faith in Jesus necessarily, but I've lost my faith in the church. I'm walking away from the church. And so all of these shifts taking place, taking us away from intergenerational fabric and community. Sorry, clearing my nose. Um, Here's a couple of quotes that I think hit me pretty hard as I started thinking about these things. A culture that was once defined by an ethic of communal practice is now filled with individuals wandering the streets, enchanted by little screens, with hopes of finding connection and community. And then this one. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when youth abandoned the corporate body of the church after graduation. It wasn't theirs from the start. So, why is it so important that we bring the generations back together again? Isn't it working? Isn't it great? Don't we have thriving youth ministries and young adults ministries and senior ministries? I'm not bagging all of that. I think we do. And I think there's a time and a place for age and stage ministry. But I think one of the reasons it's so important that we bring them together again is that the historic faith community has always been intergenerational. It's only in the last 50, 60 years that we've left that. I'm just going to run you through, quite quickly, a few verses that touch on this intergenerational point of view. So in Deuteronomy, this is when Moses, they're about to enter the promised land, and this is like Moses' defining speech, reminding them of all that God has done, and pointing them ahead and saying how important it is that they stick to the traditions, to the faith. He says this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children, three generations, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. And then skip down to verse 6 to 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. And I think in this generation we're seeing the rise of the tattoo perhaps being an equivalent of that. Literally putting scripture onto our bodies. Binding them on our foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then later on in Deuteronomy chapter 29, not only is Moses speaking about intergenerational, but we see here present in the gathering all ages. It says this, All of you standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives, and the foreigners living in your camps, who chop your wood and carry your water, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day, and sealing with an oath. Every generation present, listening, listening, to that word and this morning I could probably pick out four if not even five generations that have been present here this morning sitting under worship, under word under testimony and as we head into whatever whatever future God has for us it's just so important that we don't lose that, that we don't split off, that we don't become our little cliques of age and stage. Because God has always called a people, and it's been a people that has been intergenerational. And if you're wondering, well, was Moses the only one that sort of was hitting on this? Turn with me to Psalm 145. It says this in verse 4, Let every generation tell its children of your mighty acts, Let them proclaim your power. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. I think that's verse 6 there. And then, of course, Jesus. Jesus loved the little children. I think there's a song about that. And in a few verses here, he's either calling children to him, in this particular one, some parents have come to him and said, can you bless our children? And some of his sort of more serious followers are going, no, come on, like, don't disturb our teacher, don't disturb our rabbi. And he says, no, let the little children come to me. In fact, he gets a little angry, <laughs> as you can see there. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. And then in Matthew 18, Jesus calls a little child to him, which... As you can imagine, he didn't need to sort of shout over to the other village. The children were right there, standing among their families. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, and I love this one. I'd never noticed this one before, but in Matthew 21, talking of the temple, the religious well, the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. A little bit like the racket being, being done this morning. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Jesus loved it when the children were making a mess and a racket because it was praise to him. And lastly, we have Paul writing to the churches and asking them to be read aloud in their communities. And in each of the passages, I don't have time to dive into each one, but he specifically addresses a range of generations, which includes children. So it's pretty clear. We have... A solid basis in scripture to move forward on this idea, guys. But I also want to, to make mention of, of a particular theology, a particular um, thought. And it's this idea of accommodation accommodation, making room for the other. We see this in the incarnation itself God stooping low to make room for us. But we also see it in the writings of Paul. Paul was convinced that everything is permissible. Anything can be done, but not everything is beneficial. And he was particularly thinking about other Christians around him, younger Christians, Christians with not so much knowledge, not so much understanding. And in one place he says this, but we did not use this right... On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what do we get in Christ? In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 to 8 he did not consider it the the rights that he had he he did not hold on to those, but he lowered himself to the point of a slave unto death. And see if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity could stoop and make room, then perhaps this morning we can. So, a few obstacles to intergenerational community. What are they? And I don't think they're unique to us, they're across the board. The first one is this it's lack of accommodation, what I've just shared. It's this being unable to let go of our preferences, our flavours, our styles to make room for some different styles. And this goes both ways. Some of the older ones here, you'll find it really hard, you know. You struggle that when you come in on a Sunday morning, we're not singing all the old hymns. And for the younger ones, we're probably struggling that we even throw out a hymn or two (laughs) at times. But there's a principle in this idea of accommodation, and it goes like this, and Paul spelt it out very clearly. And it's that those who have more knowledge, more knowledge of Christ, have more responsibility to make more room. And he practiced it, and then he said, follow my example. The second one is this. I think we have a lack of understanding about the generations. I really do. And I think because of this, we can struggle with confidence. How do I engage someone in their 40s and 50s? Or if you're a little older, how do I go up to a young person? What do I talk about? How do I begin to get into their world? And one picture, I think, can paint a thousand words, and I wanted to throw that up. Because in the process of a century, we have had probably the most change that we've ever had in the history of mankind. Firstly, we had the greatest generation. These were ones that asked... Not what, I, not what my country can do for me, but what I can do for my country. They laid down their lives, literally. First World War. And they were self-sacrificial. And then following them, we had the silent generation, sort of between the wars and very much sort of under their shadow in some ways. And they say that no, no president was actually born in this time. So quite a... Not, I'm not going to say non-event, but it was just, a, a generally speaking, more of a, a placid generation. And then, of course, we had the baby boomers, and, and this is where it all changed. This is where we had all of this new theory coming our way about how we should do church and the, the rise of the seeker-friendly church. And, you know, these guys, well, they got it good. They got it good in terms of material um, comfort. And again, I'm speaking in generalisations, but I think it can help to begin to understand some of the patterns. And then we had Gen X, the children of the baby baby boomers, and um, they are said to be the most knowledgeable generation, having probably gone to university the most and studied the most, and they tended to sort of rebel against their previous baby boomer cohort. And then of course the millennials, the the picture says everything there, on their phones, and rather non-committal, and I speak for myself and all of us, and we had the rise of FOMO and a lot of things happening there, Um, yep. And lastly, Generation Z, and we're still seeing probably the ends of this, but this is where everything, literally everything has been digital, everything has been on a screen, Another name for them is screeners. And so if you are either sitting in the baby boomers or the silence this morning or the Gen Xers, probably not too many silence anymore, um, it's no wonder you struggle at times to understand because these guys have had nothing but technology and that's what they've they've lived in. And some of you sitting here, that, that is what you live in. And it's great and there's so many opportunities. But I'd say we have to understand each other and I would encourage you, do some reading. There's some great books out there around the generations and understanding like what is it that makes us tick. And obviously, there are unique um, differences among the individuals in these cohorts, completely. But it still really um, helps to, to know some of those broader themes. And one of the themes, I found this really interesting, was that the next slide. Uh, The greatest and silent generation, they were a door-to-door, so the way they did community was whoever I could walk to, whoever I could knock on a door and give a meal to, that was my community, and it was local, and there was a church on every corner, and it was very clear who your community was. Well, this changed with the boomers and with the advent of the car. The car allowed us to go across town to seek a better experience of church, and so that's what started to happen. We started to pull up our roots in order to seek something that we preferred. And the Gen Xs kind of fall into this as well. And lastly, you had person to person. So from place to place, sorry, from door to door, place to place, and then person to person. There are now literally communities that happen online. There will be millennials and Gen Zs that say, hey, I do church. And then you say, oh, where's that? It's like, oh, online. Um, There's been such a shift. And I think there's incredible opportunity to begin working with these different perspectives. At some stage, I would love to hold a gathering where we could all come, and maybe there's a topic that's put out there, and we, we chat it through from our different perspectives. Maybe it is this one of worship and what it is, and we just... We allow space, we allow room for us to begin talking. I think another big obstacle to intergenerational community is this thing of peer orientation. You may never have heard of this word. I first came across it um, with some of the writings of this guy, Gordon Neufeld. He's just a brilliant thinker around parenting and attachment. But this is one of the things he says. It's only when a plant's attachment roots find what they are seeking that it can begin to mature and grow. And that's the whole idea about holding on to your kids. Our responsibility is to meet the attachment needs and the dependency needs of our children so that they can begin to spontaneously emerge as viable, separate beings. Again, there was a shift that happened. Now, all through creation, God's design has been that the older ones would nurture the younger ones, and that we would stay in these cross-generational attachment relationships. But again, after World War II, and theories from guys like Piaget and other thinkers started having us think, well, maybe we need to throw that out and just create silos and get people together in, in peer groups. And, of course, the schooling system hasn't helped with this either. And what's happened is that we've seen this peer group orientation happen. And it's not that we can't have peers, and it's healthy that we have peer relationships. But what's happened is, and you see it in all the problems in in the world now, is that parent attachment is having to compete with peer attachment. And it's creating real problems. It's creating peer pressure in a way that we just never had it before. And so I think sometimes we've got to name these problems so that we can begin to move through them. So, that's the good news. Kidding. What could intergenerational community look like for us? Okay, so we can see a clear pattern in Scripture. And there's a real theological backing to this around this idea of accommodating one another. And we can see the obstacles. We can name those. But what what could it look like, guys? What could it look like for us? And firstly, what could it look like for us in our Sunday morning gatherings? If we could just pull that slide up, that'd be awesome. Intergenerational community in our Sunday morning gatherings. A few more across. I've got it here, but I want others to have it. Uh, a couple more. Yep, that's it. Awesome. So I think first thing is, and we're starting to see this, is that we need to invite all the generations back in. So in our Sunday morning worship space, it's about invitation. You know, and, and maybe this looks like every time we, we call to worship, every time we, we gather again and we pray a prayer, we name Each of the generations, we name each of those cohorts and we say, God is calling you to worship this morning. And I've loved seeing our kids just coming in and doing worship as they do it, which does look different. And we might question if it even is worship, but they're on a journey. And I love how we've begun creating space there. And what I'd love to see more of is all the generations participating. What we saw this morning, all generations sharing a story about how they have built connection. And I think this is is an interesting word, participation, because so often we've turned worship and Sunday morning gathering into more of something we consume. And it's so easy to slip into. But we get into our row, we get into our seat, and we watch something at the front. And I'd love to begin seeing that start to shift a bit, starting to see participation in all its colour and all its variety. I'd also love to see the different generations learning and ministering to one another. You know, this is perhaps one of the key Baptist distinctives, and it's really this thing of priesthood of all believers, that we would be indeed... Letting each generation be priest, no, no mediator needed. That they have a direct line to Jesus. And so stories and gifts and passions and even theology being discussed and being brought to the table. You know, these next two lyrics kind of underscore a, a, an interesting difference. Um... This one comes out of a song called Reckless Love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Verses out of the the hymn we all know, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy, thy glory may not see. And we might say, or the second one's, definitely worship. And the first one's kind of a nice tune and kind of a nice pop song, but it has a really good theology. And I I just want to say something around this. And I, I think what's happening is that God is using some of the different generations to begin speaking to each other of his fullness. You know, God is a God that pursues. There may be limits to that, but he does. He chases us down and he wants us And he's the father that didn't wait for the prodigal son to get all the way home. He met him. He ran down the pathway. And I think some of the younger generations are are getting this revelation in a fresh way, and I think it needs to be spoken. But then some of the older generations, they need to speak to us about, hang on, boy, don't you cross the holiness of God now. He's a holy God. And in the Old Testament, he only showed his back to Moses because he knew if he showed his whole face, Mo might have been goners. (laughs) And so I think we need each other to bring the justice and the love of God together. The second thing is what does intergenerational community look like in some of our other organised groups and gatherings? Maybe it's going to look like intergenerational small groups. Maybe it's going to look like the Wednesday service beginning to make room for young families where youth could come and serve and where little kids could start building relationships with some of the grandparents and the grandparent figures in our midst. Maybe it's going to look like mainly music, community meal and the well being a place where our community can see a family of love and action, serving alongside each other, young and old. Maybe it's going to look like some of our younger, organised gatherings, our boys' club, our youth, our young adults, um, having older ones come in and speak, offer encouragement, pray for them. Maybe it's going to look like the table, our our new Sunday evening gathering, where we just bring kai and we just eat with one another. Maybe that's going to start seeing... A truly intergenerational knitting together. And of course, the starting of our combined family activities. Maybe we need to start saying less of, oh, that's not my thing. Oh, a 50-minute drive down to Panamu, no thanks. (laughs) And maybe we need to just start, like, moving past our personal preferences so that we can truly join as, as one. And lastly, what could it look like in our everyday lives? You know, I had one younger family suggest this. You know, we used to have older couples, kind of like adopting a family. And this was a family who you know, weren't born here uh, from another country. And for them, Farno is on the other side of the world. And their suggestion struck me as such a good idea. That In this space, in this building this morning, we have such a wealth of knowledge, of wisdom, but also of time, time to be tapped into, where practical needs could be met, where support could be given, and just relationship formed. Secondly, I think this could look like mentoring and relationships around common interests One idea that is on the boil, as you can tell, I I have ideas. Um, One idea that, that I've had is that we could hold a space and call it Restorers, something like that. And it's about coming together and talking about the different ways that we are being invited by God to join in his restoration of the world. And maybe there's a small group where if you're involved in media, you just come together and you talk that out. And this would naturally see different ages and stages coming together. Maybe there'd be another group for education where you really feel God's called you to that. And you just get to bounce ideas off one another and pray for one another. Watch that space. But if you're interested, come see me. And lastly, I think it could look like the younger ones serving the older generations. Like on that Sunday, when we said, pull out your phone, and all of you had had no problem with that. But then it's like, "Um, we've got this new app, and I saw a few uncomfortable looks. And I thought, yeah, that was a way that our younger ones could serve the older ones with their knowledge and with practical help. So this morning, as as we wrap up this conversation, I just want to swing back round to, to the beginning and say that we have this rich heritage, starting with the Jews, starting with the nation of Israel, but then coming into the Christian faith of intergenerational community. And so we have this great cloud of witnesses, guys, around us, urging us on, saying, yes, this is the way forward. Hi. And of course, there have been a lot of cultural and social factors that have shifted the game, the playing field. And we don't live in Kansas anymore, and we we can't go back to the good old days, but we can begin to reclaim some of the ways that God wants to work among us across the ages. And so there's opportunities, opportunities to be intentional, to, to bring the generations back together again. So, if you have an idea, if you have any idea for this intergenerational whatever, <laughs> I encourage you, shoulder tap someone. Doesn't have to be me, doesn't have to be someone on staff. We're a family and, and begin getting some excitement around that idea and then just go do it. And I really believe that God is going to shape something in these conversations and he's already beginning it but I encourage you to to get part of it to be part of it and um, I'm just going to pray and invite the, the team to come lead us in one last song. Father I just thank you for what you're doing and Lord I pray that if there's anything that's that's going to be remembered from this morning like I said at the start, it's going to be that story of three three women, different ages, different generations, building a connection which formed a relationship, which has become a life-giving uh, thing in their lives. And I just pray that, that you would just begin to destigmatize some of this. And, and no longer make this a buzzword, but begin to work into the fabric of our family here at Topal Baptist Church. Just the bringing together again of generations. The, just the cross uh, um, pollination of wisdom and love and virtues of, in the Christian faith. And so Lord, thank you. And we give you all praise and honour and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.